Right, we'll turn to Deuteronomy 21, and I have a few bits and pieces here. Uh, remember last week we were talking about the, the various taxes which the government are imposing on people, or intend to oppose, and we have the case in, uh, of a cow tax in the States. Well, here, here's one that is in the Telegraph yesterday. Scout troops, churches and sports clubs have won an important battle in their campaign against crippling increases to water bills. I haven't had them cancelled, but United Utilities has agreed to freeze planned rises of as much as 1,300% in charges for the rainwater that lands on the roofs of their buildings and pours into public sewers. For the first time, community groups were being charged rain tax according to the size of their land, with some facing bills of up to £5,000 a year. Incredible. You know, we have all this controversy at the moment as to whether the BBC should be broadcasting the appeal for Gaza. But... Uh, Here's, a, here's an interesting point. Stephen Burkhoff, who is uh, an actor apparently, uh, he says, it says here within, this in the Telegraph yesterday, within days of Trevor Phillips, the chairman of the Equality and Human Rights Commission, saying he believed Britain was the least racist nation in Europe, the actor Stephen Burkhoff has claimed that its people are inherently anti-Semitic. There is an inbuilt dislike of Jews, says Berkhoff, whose production on the waterfront opens this month at the Theatre Royal Haymarket. Over overt anti-Semitism goes against the British sense of fair play. It has to be covert and civilized. So certain playwrights and actors on the left wing make themselves out to be stricken with conscience. They say we hate Israel, we hate Zionism, we don't hate Jews. But Zionism is the very essence of what a Jew is. Zionism is the act of seeking sanctuary after years and years of unspeakable outrages against Jews. As soon as Israel does anything over the top, it's always the same old faces who come out to demonstrate. I don't see hordes of people marching down the street against Mugabe when tens of thousands are dying every month in Zimbabwe. Berkhoff adds that he has perceived anti-Semitism in the theatrical establishment. They quite like diversity and will tolerate you as long as you act a bit Gentile and don't throw your chicken soup around too much. You are perfectly entitled occasionally even to touch the great prophet of British culture, Shakespeare, as long as you keep your Jewishness well zipped up. And he's probably right. A lot of this uh, anti-Semitism we have seen in the reporting and various things on television in recent days. So I thought that was just interesting, those two little bits there. And then we have the inauguration of Barack Obama. 
and the prayer by Rick Warren. There's been a bit of comment on that recently. One of the things, of course, about his prayer, he said in his prayer, I believe uh, that there will be shouting in heaven and rejoicing in heaven by Dr. King and others because Barack Obama has been uh, elected. We know today, he said, that Dr. King and a great cloud of witnesses are shouting in heaven. Unbelievable. Scripture does not indicate that those in heaven are aware of what is currently happening down here on earth. We are told that the focus of praise, rejoicing, singing and all that in heaven is the Lamb. And uh, one of the commentators said he couldn't think that they were going to break off uh, worship and praise in heaven just to uh, shout and sing about the the president of the uh, USA has been elected. One of them thought it was nearly blasphemy to say that. And then we had uh, Rick Warren praying in the various names. And of course in his prayer he brought in very subtly most gracious and most merciful. And that is one, a, a term used a lot in the Quran. Uh, Allah is the most gracious and most merciful. And he, of course he slipped that into his prayer. This prayer had to be uh, all-encompassing. And he used the names, the Hebrew name of uh, Yeshua, Isa, which was Arabic. Then he used a Spanish uh, uh, pronunciation, and then he used Jesus. The use of these names for Jesus was designed, I'm sure, to convey or imply a supposed common bond between these, what they call the uh, Aramaic, uh, Abrahamic faiths. We have Judaism. Islam and then the Roman Catholic and the Protestants and he, he was trying to get over some common ground for using the name of Jesus uh, the recognition, the common recognition of Jesus Christ and this is devious Judaism doesn't recognize Jesus Christ as the Messiah Islam rejects the deity and death of Christ and of course the Roman Catholics they embody Jesus Christ in a wafer and so he was putting over a unity which doesn't exist there's no common bond and recognition of Jesus Christ flowing through these other religions just doesn't exist but he had to do this to get it all over as something which was uh, common there was one man wrote actually praying in the name of Isa today in his presidential inauguration prayer Rick Warren prayed in the name of Yeshua Isa and Jesus it seems the three names Warren used were to imply the three Abrahamic faiths, as I said there, Judaism, Christianity and Islam. 
he goes on to say, what significant is the name Isa being prayed by the evangelical in the Commas world? Isa is strictly Quranic and used by Arab Muslims. He says even Arab Christians don't refer to Isa but to Yeshua. I've lived and studied in Arabic in one of the same Muslim countries that Warren has visited and I think he knows probably knows that the Arab Christian communities only refer to Jesus as Yeshua and not Isa as the Muslims. Isa is not Jewish but Palestinian. Isa did not die on the cross but instead had someone die in his place. Isa is a Muslim prophet. Isa is only found in the Quran. The name Isa doesn't have any biblical support or any meaning found in biblical scholarship. Yet Rick prayed in the name of Isa. We could go on a bit more about his prayer, but I don't want to waste too much time about that. There's one other thing uh, which was interesting. There's another film coming out, The Day the Earth Stood Still. And it's a fictitious uh, film, apparently, about a type of antichrist who uh, comes to earth and it's all softening people up and conditioning people into accepting the antichrist when he does come you know we, we often wondered how on earth could somebody like the antichrist come and be accepted by people all over the world well we've seen a very good example of that in Barack Obama who would have thought that a black American who has Muslim connections would ever be elected with overwhelming agreement? His, his tour to Europe was so fantastic in the acceptance of him. His majority and his ratings in America are massive. But who would ever have thought it would have slipped in so easily? into becoming president of the United States and that's the way it's going to be when the Antichrist comes that will be a picture of how he will be accepted worldwide the Bible warns us of a coming person a Christ-like saviour who will deceive the world Antichrist now anti doesn't mean against Christ in that uh, expression antichrist it means it's a, it's a Greek prefix in place of a substitute for the counterfeit antichrist who comes will seek to set up and establish a kingdom throughout the world and he will picture what Jesus Christ will do when he comes and sets up his kingdom on earth and people will be fooled. There will be the false prophet who will perform miracles and all the rest of it. And people will be fooled. But we're warned that he is coming. The Bible tells us Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob. He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. And he will reign forever. His kingdom shall have no end. The Jews knew of that prophecy there were Jews who were waiting for the Messiah to come 
And when he came, they couldn't understand how Jesus came as a suffering servant and not as a a conquering king. They wanted him to dispose of the Romans. That's the type of Messiah they were looking for. But he will come and he will set up his kingdom. The government will be upon his shoulder. He will come and he will rule in strong, righteous government. Whereas the Antichrist, when he comes, he will offer deceptive peace, deceptive government, before the arrival of the Prince of Peace. So, it's just interesting to see how Barack Obama has been accepted so much by people, and yet, he's a false he will be saying peace, peace and there will be no peace someday we believe soon the real Antichrist will come but we'll be out of it before that let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 21 and I'm going to read just from verse 10 again when there goes forth the war against thine enemies and the Lord thy God hath delivered thee them into thine hands and thou hast taken them captive and seest among the captives a beautiful woman and hast a desire unto her that thou wouldest have her to thy wife then thou shalt bring her home to thine house and she shall shave her head and pare her nails and she shall put the raiment of her captivity from off her and shall remain in thine house and bewail her father and her mother a full month after that thou shalt go in unto her and be her husband and she shall be thy wife and it shall be if thou have no delight in her then thou shalt let her go whither she will but thou shalt not sell her at all for money thou shalt not make merchandise of her because thou hast humbled her If a man have two wives, one beloved and another hated, and they have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated, and if the firstborn son be hers that was hated, then it shall be when he maketh his sons to inherit that which she hath, that he may not make the son of the beloved firstborn before the son of the hated which is indeed the firstborn but he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he hath for he is the beginning of his strength the right of the firstborn is his you know, we mentioned last week when we were looking at these, this first bit of this passage. Now as we go on to verse 17, these verses apply initially not to the church but to Israel. Although we may learn lessons from them as we apply them, however, they are primarily speaking of Israel. The church is an espoused 
That's one engaged, promised in marriage. The church is an espoused virgin. And the marriage of the church, the marriage of the Lamb, will take place in heaven. Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. The church is an espoused virgin. And someday we will attend the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. See, we reminded ourselves last week, Israel is spoken of as the wife of Jehovah. We saw last week, reading in Ezekiel, how she has played the harlot. God had given her so much, but she played the harlot. Jehovah has placed her to one side for a time. But one day she will return to her true husband, her true Messiah, to her rightful place. Today she is far away. Paul reminds us in Romans 9.25 of what it says in Hosea. And if you look at Hosea chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, it says... Then said God, Call his name Loami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Terrible thing. Sad. God saying to his beloved, Ye are not my people, I will not be your God. But in verse 10 it says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Someday God will bring his people back. And the people, it says in verse chapter 2 and verse 23, they shall say, Thou art my God. She, Israel, will be brought again. The harlot who has strayed away from God, and God has let her go her own way. As it said in in those verses we are reading, Then thou shalt let her go whither, whither she will. Verse 14 of chapter 21 Deuteronomy. She will be brought again into a place of privilege and blessedness. And we must never lose sight of the fact that God will bring his beloved people back to himself. Well, you know, many will not agree with you when you say this, but God's promises stand. Many will seek to spiritualize these passages, which cannot 
be supported by that type of an interpretation. As I was looking at this, I was drawn to Isaiah chapter 62. Turn to Isaiah 62. This is talking about literal Jerusalem. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name, which is which the mouth of the Lord shall name. There shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah, for the Lord delighted in thee, Hephzibah, and thy land shall be married, Beulah. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee, and as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night, Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. And give him no rest. Give him no rest. Till he establish and till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord hath sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength. Surely I will no more give thy corn to be meat for thine enemies. And the sons of the stranger shall not drink thy wine, for the which thou hast laboured. But they that have gathered it shall eat it, and praise the Lord. And they that have brought it together shall drink it in the courts of my holiness. Go through, go through the gates, prepare ye the way of the people, cast up Cast up the highway, gather out the stones, lift up a standard for the people. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. And they shall call them <coughs> the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And thou shalt be called sought out a city not forsaken that's what God is going to do with his land and with his people and now we come to these couple of verses that we read uh, from verse 15 to 17 if a man has two wives the one loved and the other unloved I'm reading from the NASV. 
numerical standard version. If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved have borne him sons, if the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then it shall be in the day he wills what he has to his sons, he cannot make the son of the loved, the firstborn, before the son of the unloved, who is the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength. To him belongs the right of the firstborn. Now I believe here that we have a picture of Israel and Israel is the unloved wife at the moment. The position of the firstborn son is of great interest in scripture. The rights of the firstborn. It is something special to God and something which he does not desire should ever be taken away. In Romans 8.29 we say, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among, among many brethren. Colossians 1.18 He is the head of the body, Jesus Christ, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. God said that, and gave us a picture of Jesus Christ as the firstborn from the dead. Hebrews 1, 4 and 5, Being made much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, for of the which of the angels did he say at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he said, and let all the angels of God worship him. And that picture of the firstborn carries on through the scripture. We saw the situation, remember the situation with Esau and Jacob? Esau came in from the fields and he decided that he would sell his birthright to his brother for a mess of pottage. And we saw in scripture, if we look through how that worked out, the way that Esau disregarded the God-given firstborn's right and he became an idolater. And the Edomites were a thorn in the flesh for Israel for years. Their history was one of wars. We read that David, in his time, he defeated the Edomites and they became a subject to Israel for about 150 years at that time. <coughs> In Malachi, it says, God speaking, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? 
Yet I loved Jacob and I hated Esau. It went against them, the, the disregard of that wonderful gift of being the firstborn followed Esau all the way through his life. You know, there's an interesting verse in Proverbs. Uh, I'm guessing a little bit. Like Proverbs chapter 4, from verse 18. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The path of the just is a shining light. And it shines more and more unto the perfect day. And that's a picture of how we should live our Christian lives. Our light should keep on glowing and burning for God. Day by day. The path of the justice has a shining light and it should keep on shining more and more until we come into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have pictures of this, of those whose light did shine and those whose light didn't shine or didn't keep on shining. We had Abraham. He walked with God. He was the friend of God. And as he went through life, we saw how he became closer and closer to God. We have Lot, who had the same advantages of, a of Abraham. And he set out so well at the start. His light was shining, but as he went through life, his light got dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Gideon was another one. Gideon, who did so much... And yet at the end, his light became dim. Solomon was another example. Jacob was uh, one going the other way. He, he, he seemed to have a fairly dull light at the start, but as he went through life, his light became stronger and stronger as he went through his life. And that's the way it should be. And of course, we have the, the perfect man who came, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his light shone brightly all the time we want to make sure that not like Esau Esau had the same start in life as Jacob but he disregarded his God given rights and he became duller and duller and duller may we as it says there to get the, 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 the right again Proverbs 4 and chapter 18 uh, it says <clears throat> the path of the just is as a shining light may we shine Jesus said let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven shines more and more unto the perfect day so let's digress a little bit but nevertheless it's, it's, it's maybe worth it there was a special, a special blessing reserved for the firstborn. And here we have a picture of Jehovah, the husband to Israel. And we have a picture of, I believe, the church. Israel has been turned aside for a while. 
and now is as the unloved wife the church now has the position in some way some measure as the second wife the church her position on earth is that of the future bride of Christ so the church holds the position in type of the second wife the question is will the firstborn of that bride the church take the place of the firstborn of the at present unloved wife will the church replace Israel in other words and this little passage here would and although we're not uh, we, we, we're always careful not to uh, twist doctrine to suit types we have the type here the firstborn has an earthly blessing the firstborn of Israel Israel has an earthly blessing and so it says here he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved I'm reading again we read it in the NASV he shall acknowledge the firstborn the son of the unloved by giving him a double portion of all that he has for he is the beginning of his strength to him belongs the right of the firstborn the heirs of the promise get their portion according to the unchangeableness of the purposes and the promises of God God cannot and will not replace Israel with the church the church on the other hand will receive a heavenly blessing Israel will receive an earthly blessing thinking of this whole thing Israel was chosen by God to be a peculiar people through whom blessing would come to the world and that's why we get all this anti-semitism because Satan will do his utmost to try and destroy the promises of God and the blessings which are the right of the children of Israel his beloved chosen people they were the firstborn of Jehovah who chose them why because he loved them and Satan will seek at all times to frustrate the promises of God either by doctrines like replacement theology or in a much more serious and practical way by attacking Israel physically by force and by every other means of anti-semitism in the world today I've no I've no qualms about saying that whereas we on the other hand if we look at Ephesians chapter 2 we on the other hand were dead in trespasses and sins wherein in time past we walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience 
among whom we also had our conversation in times past in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful uh, experience God has given us. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. Oh yes, Israel will receive an earthly blessing. But look at the blessings God has reserved for you and for me. We will be the bride of Christ. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. We're his workmanship. If only we, we will allow him to mould us and make us into what he desires us to be. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath ordained that we should walk in them. Walk in good works. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands that at that time ye were without Christ without Christ under the condemnation and wrath of God being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world the Jews always had that promise but we were even in a worse situation, we were without hope and without promise, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. But, and the buts in this chapter are so important, but God, who is rich in mercy, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. We hear a lot about peace in the world. The only peace we have is through Jesus Christ. He is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Jews and Gentiles can have peace with God together in Jesus Christ. That he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. There is now a way open for all to come together 
the middle wall of partition has been broken down between Jew and Gentile. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth up an holy temple in the Lord. God is not confined to buildings made by hand. We are being built up into a spiritual temple. Christ is the head, the cornerstone. In whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as a group within the church, we are being built together for an inhabitation of God through the Spirit. What a wonderful future we have. The Jews have a wonderful earthly future. Christ will reign upon this earth on the throne of David and he will rule with justice and with equity and with firmness. We will someday go and we will take part in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then when Christ returns to this earth, we, he will come with his saints and we will all reign with him in that wonderful kingdom which he will establish when there will be justice when there will be peace not like what it's going to be when the antichrist comes that will be a time when there will be peace it will be a false peace they will say peace peace when there is no peace but when the prince of peace comes he will establish his kingdom scripture tells us that his kingdom will be forever